want you to turn in your Bibles this morning to a passage, Matthew chapter 21. We're beginning a series today that's going to lead us all the way up to Easter. And the title of this series is just simply this, Words Matter. Now, do you agree with me today that words matter? Like the things that we say, they actually do matter. We heard it last week from Rick. I mean, wasn't Rick awesome last week? Incredible. I told you before he spoke, you'd be blessed. And then afterwards, I was like, see, told you. And we heard even last week that we need to be people of our word, right? We talked about that, that when you say something, that you mean it and then you do it, that you actually do what you tell others you're going to do. Words actually do matter. And while words matter and while that's important, there are no words that matter more than the words of Jesus. Would you agree with me on that one? The words that we find in the in the New Testament, in, in those red letters in some of our Bibles, those words make a difference. They matter. And we need to understand and, and grab a hold of and believe in and count on and walk in and be encouraged by, be led by, be directed by those words. And so we're starting a series today, and we're going to walk all the way up through to Easter with just simply this. Words matter. The ideas, the teachings, the statements that Jesus gave to us and how we can live today. And so I want to start today, Matthew chapter 21. Got to be honest with you right before we begin reading. And you may have already looked down in your Bible and you've kind of said, this is kind of weird. And it is kind of weird. Because what we're doing today is we're actually starting on Palm Sunday. So today is Palm Sunday, but it actually is not Palm Sunday. Uh, Palm Sunday is about a month away, right? This is not Palm Sunday. But... Today, not quite a month, whatever. Okay, so today we're going to start with the Palm Sunday story, and, and when we get done, you'll see why. Matthew chapter 21, let's start reading with verse 1. It says, now when they, and I'll just stop right there if we could, the word they there is referring to Jesus and the disciples, okay? So Jesus and the disciples are making their way towards Jerusalem. And so it says here now, Verse 1, now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent to two disciples, saying to them, go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him, Jesus, on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And so the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, today we read this story that is familiar to all of us if we've spent any time in church at all, because it's a story that we celebrate every year, Palm Sunday, the Sunday that follows right before, previous, right before Easter every single year. 
The day when we celebrate when Jesus entered into the city one week before that glorious resurrection of Christ that we read about in the scriptures. That Jesus entered and we we talk about how they took the palm branches off the trees. They laid them on the road. They took their cloaks off and laid them on the road. And they cried out celebrating, blessed is he, Jesus, who comes in the name of the Lord. And they worshiped and they celebrated. And all the city celebrated and was excited about the fact that Jesus had arrived. But that's not why we're talking about this story today. Today we're going to look at kind of two different little parts of the story that rarely do we actually focus on, rarely do we actually talk about as it comes, as it relates to uh, Palm Sunday. But moments in this story that are critical for each of us as followers of Christ to really understand why it is that words matter. And so today what I'm going to give you, and if you're taking notes, I encourage you, you just write down these little statements here that I'm going to give you over the next few minutes. Uh, You can also follow along in the app. It's a lot easier. I've already given it to you, so you don't have to write anything down. You can take it home and print it out, whatever it might be. But here's what it is. Today I'm going to give you two questions of us that we find in this passage, that we can kind of glean from this passage. Two questions from us, or two questions for us, and then... Following that, two promises from God. So it's two questions of us and two promises from God that we can get from this passage as we begin talking about this idea of do words really matter? Like why is it so important that we study what Jesus did 2,000 years ago? And the first one is this, the first question. You can write this down, you can follow along, whatever it might be. Is he, Jesus, is he your king? Is Jesus your king? king. Now, you'll see in just a moment why I started here on Palm Sunday as we begin this journey that will then take us right back to Palm Sunday and right back into Easter, is because the most important question that we could ever ask of ourselves, is Jesus the king of our lives? Now, I didn't say, do you believe in Jesus? I didn't say, hey, do you like Jesus? I didn't say, do you celebrate? Do you worship Jesus? Do you talk about Jesus? Do you come to church every week and raise your hand, raise your voice when we sing or talk about Jesus? That's not what I said. I said, is Jesus the king of your life? Look what it says in this passage that we just read uh, in verse 5. It, as they, you know, as Jesus entered into the city, as the palm branches were being thrown, as the cloaks were being laid on the road, and here's what they cried out. Here's what they sang. Behold, your king is coming to you. Verse 5, that's a picture that goes all the way back to the book of Zechariah telling the story of what was going to happen when Jesus entered into the city of Jerusalem. Your king is coming to you. That's from Zechariah chapter 9. Now listen, I want you to understand and hear what I'm saying to you today. What was said 2,000 years ago, what was said was years before that in Zechariah chapter 9, is still being said today. People, listen to me. Your king, Jesus, is coming to you. Are you ready? There is no point in us beginning to talk about the teachings of Jesus and the words of Jesus. There's no point in us beginning a journey as we kind of walk through the Gospels leading up to Easter. There is no point in doing that unless we start with the most simple and the most important, the most pivotal question that you can ever ask yourself, am I a child of the King? Do I believe that Jesus is the Son of God who was sent to come to take away the sins of the world? Do I believe that Jesus died and that he rose again? Now, I've got to be honest with you, and those of you who have been a part of our church, if you're visiting with us today, this might be new 
to you, but for everybody else in this room, you get it, you understand this. There's never a time that I or anyone else stands on the stage where we don't make this central to the message we're giving you. We could be talking about Jonah. We're going to get right back to Jesus. We could be talking about Moses. It's going to end up right back with Jesus. We could talk about Abraham and Isaac going up to the mountainside, and we're going to get right back to Jesus. Why? Because everything that we could talk about in this room is irrelevant if it doesn't point back to the fact that Jesus is the only hope that we have. Do you agree with me? It is pointless that we talk about, that we study, that we read, that we dig into God's Word unless we make sure that it all kind of brings us back to the central theme, the central point of everything that God's Word is all about is that we are sinners, we have sinned, we have fallen away from God, and God loved us anyway, and He sent His Son Jesus to die for us. He was buried, and He rose again, and that better be the central message, the central theme, the central point of every sermon of every thought of every lesson that we ever have or we're wasting our time so i ask you again the question is he your king you see why we're starting on palm sunday because as we walk towards easter there's no point in us even talking about easter unless he's your king there's no point in us talking about the the great things that happened during christ's lifetime unless he's your king And so for the next five weeks, we're going to be walking through, talking through, words matter. In fact, all of our life groups are going to be walking through this throughout the week. Whatever group you might meet on a Sunday morning or if you meet during the weeks, uh, we're going to be walking through this. If you're not part of a life group, I know this sounds like a commercial. It's not. This is a great time for you to get connected in life groups. And if you're not in one, man, I encourage you today, go out to the Connect Center out in Main Street in our lobby today to do that because for the next five weeks, everything we're studying here on Sunday morning is what we're going to be studying in our life groups as well. And together, as an entire church, we're going to walk through this journey, asking ourselves these questions, focusing on what Jesus said, what he did, so that when we get to Easter Sunday, yes, we're going to celebrate that he is risen. Yes, we're going to celebrate that he came to take away the sins of the world. Yes, we're going to celebrate that he is still sitting on his throne. But we're going to celebrate prayerfully, hopefully, in a different way because we will have seen Jesus move in our church unlike ever before. Is he your king? Our salvation is the purpose of his coming. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 19, Jesus said these words for the Son of Man himself. Jesus came to seek and to save those which were lost. He came to seek and to save those who are lost. Now, let me put that in context, okay? Let me put that in an idea for you. So we're sitting here in this room. And let's just kind of for a moment, and please don't take this the wrong way. But let's put this in a moment here. Let's say that I'm Jesus. I'm not, okay? There are some preachers out there on TV who have kind of met. I am not Jesus. Do we got, understand? Do you understand? Okay, but for the purposes of this conversation, let's say that I'm Jesus. And Jesus is sitting up in heaven. He's sitting up and he's looking out and you guys are like all of mankind. Okay? So you guys are all a bunch of sinners who are way away from God. This is kind of cool. I'm Jesus. You guys are sinners. This is awesome. Okay. So let's say for a moment that I'm Jesus. And I'm looking down at creation, and God's love for you is immense, and it's overwhelming, and God doesn't desire that anyone in this room, mankind, that any of you don't have the opportunity to 
accept me as Lord and Savior to spend eternity with God. Man, I hope people don't tweet just little parts of this sermon or little clips of this sermon. It's going to look really bad. Um, but Jesus looks at and knows that, that God's plan is for every single one of you to spend eternity in heaven with us. And so Jesus, knowing that there's nothing you can do, Jesus, knowing that you can't be good enough to get up here to heaven, Jesus, knowing that, there, that there's no good acts that you can perform, you can't be kind enough, nice enough, sweet enough, you can't show up and volunteer enough, you can't do it on your own. So therefore, God has a conversation amongst himself up here with Jesus and said, you must go to seek and to save that which is lost. And so God looks down and he sees And Jesus leaves the splendors of heaven and he comes down and he walks into mankind. I'm still God. I'm still Jesus. But I've walked away from what I've known for eternity. And now let me tell you what I am. I'm just like you. And I'm coming down and as I walk into mankind, I seek and save that which is lost. Because this guy right here, let me just tell you something. He's lost. He's a sinner. He is so far from me, you can't even imagine. He has blown it over and over and over and over again. And he doesn't deserve to even be in my presence. But I love him. And I want to save him. And so I came to find you. And I want you to be with me, not just today, but for eternity. Do you see the picture of what it is that Jesus came to do? Jesus did not come so that we can study like great doctrinal truths or great theological statements of the past. Jesus did not come so that we could have the opportunity of gathering together in a room like this of people that we care about, that we love, that we enjoy, and that we want to spend time with and sing songs. Jesus did not come so we would not have nice, comfortable seats that we can sleep in when the preacher... Are you awake? Oh, yes. Okay. When, <laughs> When the preacher is speaking, Jesus did not come so we could do that. Jesus came because he looked down at mankind and he said this, they are sinners and they are lost and they have no hope and they will spend eternity in hell if it is not for the fact that I can die on the cross and I can rise again. And if you believe, you'll spend eternity with me. So I ask you again the question, an important question. Is he your king? Because everything else we talk about, everything that we, else, that we do is a waste of time if that's not truth. So first question, is he your king? Now I encourage you to write that down. Here's why. I know that he's my king. I know it. I remember back when I was six years old at the old Thomas Road Baptist Church. And I was sitting at that time on a Sunday night service. And I was sitting right over here where, not in this room, in the old room, where uh, the, the deaf interpretation takes place. Even still today, right over here. Next service, they, they'll be here and they do it faithfully for now 62 years. And I remember I was sitting about six rows back. So in the old church, I was sitting like somewhere right back, like right here. This, you're in my seat. <laughs> and so I was sitting like right here and I wasn't paying attention. The songs were going on, and I was, you know, just a six-year-old kid, like, you know, bored. It was February of 1972. I was sitting there, not paying attention. Freddie Gage was preaching a sermon up on, on the stage. And he was preaching a sermon, and it's a famous service, a sermon that you may have heard if you know Freddie Gage. All my friends are dead. 
Now, I've got to be honest with you. Even at six years old, when you hear the sermon title, hey, all my friends are dead, you pay attention. And he began preaching the gospel. And at the end of that service, I got up from this seat. And I walked right down over here. And my dad, who was standing up on the stage, he saw me and he walked down that stage. He came over to where I was. He put his arms around me. He took me downstairs at the old church into the counseling room, which was down below the stage. He took me down. And you know what he did? He led me to Jesus. I know that without a question, without a doubt. He is my king. But listen to me. I need to be reminded of that daily. Daily, I need to be reminded of the fact that he is my king. Why? Because in our humanity, what we end up doing as we walk through life and as we are distracted by all the things that are surrounding us every single day, the easiest thing for us to do as humans is this, is to know that we're a child of the king, but also to forget that we're a child of the king. So what we did and what he did for us is true and it's real and it's impactful, but we're not living like it. So, first question, is he your king? Think about that. Ask yourself that question. And if today you can honestly say, I don't think that he is, there's never been a better day than today. And in a few moments when I'm done, I'm going to give you the opportunity to make a decision. A decision not for me. A decision that will change your life, not only for this lifetime, but for eternity. And we'll give you that opportunity. So I just want you right now, I'm just going to set it up right now. Okay? I'm not going to, like, sneak up and surprise you. I'm going to set it up right now. If you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, in about 12 minutes, I'm going to give you the opportunity to make that decision. So I want you to be thinking about it for the next 12 minutes. I went to the hospital this week, visited with a man who was very near death, very sick. And I knew that he was not a believer. I knew that he had not accepted Christ. And I went and visited with him, and I talked with him. And like I do here, uh, in the midst of that hospital visit, uh, I probably shared the gospel with him about like five or six times. I tried it from every different angle. I said it in five different ways. I came about it this way and that way and this way and that way. Just whatever. I just kept talking about the gospel. He probably was like, dude, you already said that. And I kept talking about it, kept talking about it, kept talking about it. And then finally I said, you know what, let me ask you a question. Today, would, would you like to know, like I do, would you like to know that he's your king? Would you like to know that you are a child of the king? Knowing that probably not very long after I was going to leave that room, it was really going to matter for him. Here's what he said to me. He said, no, I'm, not, I'm really not interested. Not interested. I said, okay, fair enough. Will you do me a favor? Because you got nothing but time. You're in the hospital room. You know, you're, not, you're not going out to the mall. You're here in the hospital. You've got plenty of time. Would you do me a favor? Would you just think about it? Just think about it. And then, and then, tomorrow, talk about it again. And here's what he said. I'll think about it. He said, i got nowhere else to go. I'll think about it. The next day, David Horsley, one of our pastors here at Thomas Road, David walked into that hospital room. And I'd already set David up. I said, listen, go there. And he went there, and, and David went to that room. You know what happened? David was there, and that man had thought about it. You know what he did? He prayed to receive Christ as his Lord and Savior. So that's why, that's why today, if you're here and you're not sure, will you think about it? Just for a few minutes. I'm not going to sneak up and surprise you. Just think about it. Because what I'm about to walk through with you and talk with you through 
might help you make a decision. First question, is he your king? I promise you I'm not going to take that much time with the rest of these points, okay? Is he your king? Second question for today is this. Are you living life as his subject? Because you know a king is only a king if he has subjects, right? You know, if a guy were a king of a country... And he was the king, he was the boss, he lived in the castle up on the hill, and, and, and I mean, he was the king of that castle and king of that land. If nobody lived in that land, it's kind of like no point in being the king, right? Like, what are you the king of? I'm the king, do what I tell you. There's nobody out there to do it. You know, I mean, if you're not the king of people, then there's no point in being the king. So the second question is, after, is he your king, is are you living life as his subject? Look what it says in verse 6. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. His disciples went and did just as Jesus commanded them to do. You see, the picture of living life, knowing that we're a subject of the king, when we recognize that we're living life, that that he is our king and that we live life as subjects of the king, the, the result of that always is action. The result of that is always action. There is no point in being the subject to the king if we're not actually doing as the king tells us. And so action is the natural result. It's a natural thing that we must do. So Jesus, you know, gave that story. He told them when they got there, hey, I want you to walk over that that village that's over there. And you're going to go over there and you're going to find a donkey and you're going to find a colt tied to it. And I want you to grab that donkey and I want you to grab that colt and I want you to bring them back to me. If anybody tries to stop you, you tell them that I need it. And so they went over there, they found that donkey, they found that colt, they bring the colt and the donkey back to Jesus, just as he commanded, they instantly did exactly what he told them to do, they went and did it, they brought him back, and here's why that's, that part of the story is one that we really don't focus on that much, but it is critical, it's pivotal to the story, here's why. Jesus could not have entered the city of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday had it not been for the obedience of those two disciples. I want to say that again. Jesus, who is all-powerful, Jesus, who is God, could not have walked into, entered into the city of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday had it not been for the actions and the obedience of those two disciples. You want to know why that's true? Now, I know some of you say, what do you mean mean Jesus couldn't have done that without them? Jesus can do anything. True. But let me tell you why. Because if you go back up to verse 4 and 5, you know what it tells us in that passage? It says this. To fulfill what the prophets had said, Jesus entered into the city on a donkey and a colt. In other words, Jesus could have floated into the city. And here's what it had done. If Jesus would have floated from the Mount of Olives over into the city of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and they celebrated still the same, if he had done that, here's what he would have done. He would have negated the Word of God. He would have made the Word of God untrue, which, by the way, is something Jesus can't do. Is Jesus all-powerful? Is Jesus all-powerful? True, except for one very interesting little theological dynamic here. Jesus is powerful. He can do all things. There's nothing that Jesus cannot do except for negate the Word of God. Truth. Jesus can't do what God can't do. So think about it now. Jesus could not have entered into the city. He could not have entered into the city of Jerusalem had it not been for 
those two disciples that when Jesus said, I want you to go over to that village, grab me a donkey, grab me a colt, bring them back to me, and then they ran and did it. He couldn't have entered into the city of Jerusalem. Now, here's the context. Here's the, the, the illustration or the, uh, the, the tie-in for us today of recognizing and understanding kind of this dynamic. Because in Zechariah chapter 9, it tells us, it says, Rejoice, O people of Zion, shout in triumph. O people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you, and he's righteous and he's victorious, yet he's humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Now listen to me. Here's the statement I want you to understand. We cannot expect Jesus to show up in our city unless he sees obedience in his people. We cry often for revival. We want Jesus to come and to do. We want Jesus to use this church to reach this community. Our mission statement, to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and who love people. We are so passionate about that mission. But Jesus will not fan the flames of revival in our church until we have fanned the flames of obedience in our own hearts. So is Jesus your king? But are you living as a subject? That's what we talked about last week. Rick did an amazing job, an eloquent job of sharing that. And he was able to dance around a little bit more than I can. He's got more rhythm than I do. I'm not going to try that. But I'm just going to tell you something. Truth last week, truth this week. Jesus is our king. He's the only one that we can find salvation through. And we better be living life subject to the king if we expect Jesus to show up and to be the king. So Jesus couldn't have entered the city had it not been. Now, granted, he could have said, now, you do disciples, you, you didn't obey me. You know, they were maybe sitting over there eating a chicken Chick-fil-A sandwich and didn't want to go. A Christian sandwich, they're, you know, they're eating the sandwich over there. And so they, they don't want to run over the city. They're, they're, not, they're only halfway through. You can't eat a half eaten Chick-fil-A sandwich. You got to finish the thing, right? He could have said, okay, you two, go get me that donkey. And they could have done it. And then maybe if they did, he could have gone to that. Yes, he could have done all that. But here's the point. If God's word said he's riding on a donkey coming into the city, let me just tell you something. Jesus can't get into that city unless he fulfills the word of God. So the question is, are we serving as a catalyst for, as a vehicle for the fulfillment of the word of God? Or are we serving as a hindrance to it? Are we living our lives hindering the actions in the word of God? Or are we living to help make it happen? Two questions. Is he your king? Are you living life subject to the king? Now, here's the cool thing. So those are the questions. Those are like the burdens on us, right? Okay, two things we better get. We better get it right. But here's two promises that come as a result. So two questions of us, but yet two promises from him. And the first one is this. If we are doing our part, here's what will happen. It will change our city. It will change our city. Look what it says in verses 10 and 11. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. You see, all of Jesus was stirred, was shaken up because Jesus had arrived. I want that to be true today. I want us to live life in such a life of obedience and actions of obedience and serving God and living for God and walking for God that Lynchburg is shaken, it's stirred because Jesus has shown up. 
because Jesus is here. When you look at the original Greek word there for the word moved, it literally means stirred or shaken. And that's not the James Bond stirred or shaken kind of. I mean, it's the real stirred, the real shaken. It makes all the difference in the world. If we will do our part, Jesus will change our city. And how many of us want our city to change for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Now, come on. Okay, I'm going to stop, 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 stop. I'm going to be Rick Rigsby. Come on. Do you want our city changed? We want our city changed. It's a promise from God. When those disciples did what Jesus told them to do, when they went and got the donkey and they got the colt and they bring them back to Jesus and Jesus travels across down that Palm Sunday road through the valley and right back up into Jerusalem and all Jerusalem was shaken, it was stirred, it was moved, it was motivated, it was captivated by the fact that Jesus had arrived. Don't you want to walk and drive and live in the city of Lynchburg, walk down the streets and drive down the the roads here? Don't you want to live in a city where the entire city, even those who don't believe, the entire city is stirred up, captivated by the fact that Jesus has shown up in the city? Man, I want to live in that city. I want to be in that place. I want to be there. And here's how it happens. Is he your king? Are you living life subject to the king? First promise. It will change our city. But here's the cool part. Listen to this. Not only will it change our city, it'll change you. It'll change you. Why? Go down to verses 12 through 14. It says this, Then Jesus, after he arrived in the city, he went into the temple of God and he drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer but you have made it a den of thieves. And then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Listen to this, draw, leave it up on the screen if you could, the verses where, oh, it's up here. Okay, can, can you put the last verse back up there? Verse 13. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. After he had turned the tables over, we've all seen, the, uh, you've seen the cartoons, right? You've seen the video. You've watched the movie, Right. I mean, Jesus went in there. Some of them, he goes in kind of meek. Some of them, he goes in like, you know, Rambo has shown up in the room, you know. And he's flipping tables and he's throwing, you know. So so he shows up. After he does that, go to verse 14. Then the blind and the lame, they come to him and they are healed. It is only when Jesus has changed the people of the temple that God will do his work in the temple. We wonder why churches are dead today. Listen to me. Churches are not dead today because God is dead. Did you hear me? Churches are not dead today because God is dead. Churches today are not, uh, have not lost their effectiveness because God has lost his effectiveness. The church today is not reaching its community, not because God has lost interest or God has like, you know, gotten older and he's not remembering the promises of the past. No, no, that, that's not why communities are, are not being reached. That's not why revival is not moving. That is not why the world is not being changed. The church today is dead, not because God is dead, but because so often in our lives, our faith is on life support. Because we're just limping through life, comfortable, happy, things are good. It's all good. No big deal. We'll just keep on going. Hey, we'll, we'll punch the card. 
We'll show up when church we need to. We'll, we'll read our Bible occasionally. Man, we'll do all the things we're supposed to. We'll punch the card. Jesus didn't call you to punch a card. He told you to change the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus cleansed that temple, he changed what the temple had become. Because, see, what happened then is the temple had gone from being the place where God resided for them to worship. And it had become, they'd made it into, that temple served one purpose. The temple literally was there to serve the needs of the people. Now, here's the parallel we can draw. Today, oftentimes, the church, this church, any church, the church has come to the place where we are more focused on fulfilling our own needs than we are fulfilling the mission of Christ. They were so focused on fulfilling kind of our desires that we've long since forgotten what it is that Jesus sent us to do. Let me just remind you the mission of the church. The mission of the church is this, is to win people to Christ and to grow them in Christ. To tell them the gospel story. To help them grow in their faith. And then to send them right back out there to start it all over again. That's the mission of the church. And here's the problem. The problem is every time that we make the mission of the church to fulfill our needs and our desires, all that we are doing is we are creating the one dance that Baptists allow, the church hop dance. And the church hop dance is really nothing more than this. I'm not getting what I want out of this church anymore, so I'm going to go try a different one. I'm not happy here because that person's mean to me, so I'm going to go over and try that church. And so we hop from church to church to church to church, and here's what we're doing. We're trying to find the church that's going to fulfill my needs and my desires. And let me just tell you something. Every time you do that, it will always end in misery and pain and sorrow, I promise. Because when you make it all about you, there's just no point. I shared with you last week, Sherry went down to Highland Heights last week. Great church. She tried church hopping last week. She's right back here this week. Come on now. I'm just kidding. Great church. By the way, man, I'm so glad. I didn't know this, but last week, Carl Weiser, who is an amazing man of God, I mean, just serving God for years, and, you know, one of my heroes here in this community, uh, Carl and his wife, Debbie, um, who just retired from, from Highland Heights. Um, Debbie's been battling cancer for a number of years, and, you know, they, they retired. And so last week when I was joking about Highland Heights, you weren't here yet because you were down there. So um, I, got a, I got a note on Tuesday or Wednesday from Debbie. Carl and Debbie actually had come to visit Thomas Road that day because they wanted to hear Michael O'Brien and Rick Rigsby. I am so glad I was nice to Highland Heights last week. That has nothing to do with the sermon, but I, I just want... See, praises are important, right? Rejoice, good, went well. So, no, but here's the deal. When you make church all about you, all that you're doing is setting yourself up for disappointment and failure. We are not in this room. We are not a part of the church of Jesus Christ to see what we can get out of it. We are part of the church of Jesus Christ to celebrate what he has already done for us so that we can go out and introduce that same truth, that same principle, that same idea to people who are sitting out there in the world today who are lost. Because remember, Jesus said, I come to seek and to save those who are lost. And God wants us to be a part of the solution. God wants to use us to go out and find them, to reach them, to share the truth 
the love of gospel. Here's a, here's a paycheck. Oh, you may want that. If not, I'll keep it. I just, I'll just have to go. Um, I, mean, I don't know if it's a paycheck. It looked official, whatever it is. God wants you to stop trying to figure out what you can get out of church and to start focusing on and celebrating and what God will do through you in the church. Now, I want to share with you one thing and then we'll be done. Today's March 24th. Next Sunday, March 31st. We're going to come together. We're going to celebrate. We're going to continue walking through the words that matter of Christ. We're going to celebrate communion next week. An ordinance of the church, remembering, reflecting on what Jesus did. And then the next day, April 1st. And April for our church is going to be a special and important month. Here's why. Because in the month of April, I'm asking our entire church to ask themselves one more question. And here's that question. Who's your one? Who's your one? Remember we started, is he your king? And then we went to, are you a subject of the king? The promises that we heard that that, that God will fulfill. And so I want you to walk out of here today with one more question on your mind. Who is your one? Let me tell you what that means. It means this, in the month of April, I'm going to ask every single person a part of this church to make the commitment that for an entire month of April, 30 days of April, here's what you're going to do. You're going to think about and identify, and that's why I'm telling you today, because you've got now uh, eight days to be able to do this, to identify, to pray about who is the one person in your sphere of influence that God's going to lay on your heart that you know is not a believer, not a follower of Christ, that you are going to spend the entire month of April where you are going to dial in and you're going to pray for that person every single day that they will come to know Christ and you're going to pray that God will give you the opportunity to simply open a conversation with them about Christ. Now, listen, I'm not saying that I want you to write down that one person. Oh, uh, let's see, LeBron James, I'm going after him, right? We got to be realistic, right? People that are in your life. You say, wait a minute, but I'm, I'm here in the church and man, I'm surrounded. I don't know. Yes, you do. Because you're going to go to work tomorrow, there are going to be people in that place that maybe don't know Christ. There are going to be people who are serving at the restaurant that you go to today to have lunch that don't know Christ. There are going to be neighbors who live right across the street from you who don't know Christ. Who is your one? Now, guys, last week I asked all of you to raise your hand. Who said, I'm all in? Man, I'm going to be a man of God. I'm going to do it. Here is your first call to action. Who's your one? Ladies, who's your one? Now listen to me. If we, the church of Jesus Christ, will put ourselves into the position of those two disciples, when arriving on the Mount of Olives and Jesus makes the statement, hey, do me a favor, go over and get that donkey. Go get that donkey over there and that colt that's tied. I want you to go get the donkey and that colt and and, and I want you to, to bring them to me. Now listen to me. That wasn't a job that people were looking to do. If you've ever been around a donkey, they're not a lot of fun. They're not, you know, they don't just simply say, they don't follow you. You don't say, here, donkey, and they run. They don't do that. That was not a job that everybody wanted to do. But Jesus said, hey, go get that donkey. And go get that colt. Bring them to me. 
And they did it instantly. And because of their obedience, Jesus came to the city. I want out of our act of obedience as a church, thousands of us, to obey, not obey me, to obey him. Because remember, Matthew 28, Mark 16, Acts 1, what did Jesus say? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Make disciples of all the nations. Go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth, and let people know who I am. I want to see our church through acts of obedience. I want to see Jesus show up in Lynchburg. I want Lynchburg to be changed forever. Because just like those two disciples, we said, I'll go get the donkey. Now, I'm not calling your friend a donkey, but you know, you get the point, right? So I'm going to ask you again a question. How many of you are willing to say, yeah, who's my one? How many of you are willing to spend the next eight days asking yourself, praying about, seeking God's direction? I'm going to find that one. Would you just raise your hand right now? I'm willing. I'm willing. I'm willing. God, I pray right now for every hand that is raised. What this is an an example of, a representative of, is just simply this, an act of obedience, of simply saying, I will do, Jesus, as you've commanded me to do. And God, I pray the result of what we see with the hands raised today will not simply be just something that we do and then we walk out and then we forget about it. But what this will be is that the result that we will see thousands come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And God, we give you the thanks. We give you the praise in advance of what you're going to do through simply each of us saying, here I am, use me. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed. Today we talked about the importance of following Christ. We've talked about the importance of, is he your king? We've talked about the importance of obedience. We've talked about all those things. Listen, and I told you, those of you, and I was about... I said 12 more minutes, and it was actually about 17 more minutes. I apologize for going a little bit longer than I promised. But for those of you who are in this room who don't know Jesus, here's the chance. You've had the chance to think about it. You've had the opportunity the last 17 minutes to think about what I was sharing with you. Listen, in a moment, our team is going to be here. They're going to be at the front. We're going to stand together. We're going to sing through one song. We're going to sing through one time, one time. And when we do, I want you to think of this song, not as a song, not as a moment in the church, not as a a plan of the church on an agenda or an itinerary. No, no, what this is, is this. This is the king of the universe, and he is speaking your name. Remember, Jesus came to seek and to save those who were lost. Remember when I walked out into the aisles of this church today and I walked to that one man? Jesus today has left the splendor of heaven and he has made it down your aisle and he is standing looking at you right in the face and he is calling your name. Here's the question. Are you going to respond? God loves you and Christ died for you and he rose again three days later to give you the hope of salvation and without that, there is no hope at all you've never done that, if you've never believed, if you've never trusted Christ, in a moment when we stand, I'm going to ask you to step out instantly, not waiting, not thinking about it, not, you know, posturing like, yeah, maybe, maybe, no, no, no. Immediately, I want you to step out, come down to one of our team members that are here and say, tell me about Jesus. If you want to come down and kneel here and pray about a friend or a family member, maybe pray about that one. Maybe you want to come and leave a prayer request or come for baptism, come to join our church. 
Whatever God is leading you to do as we stand right now and sing, I encourage you, don't wait, don't hesitate, don't think about it, don't pause, don't wonder what the people next to you are going to think. Step out and do what the king of the universe today is calling you to do. Let's stand. Let's sing. Joey, lead us. We want to take this opportunity to thank you for joining us here today. You know, at Thomas Road Baptist Church, since our very beginning, back in 1956, we've been about one thing and one thing only, and that is to bring the message of hope that comes through Jesus Christ to the world. And today, my friends, we recognize we live in a world that's messed up. We live in a world that's full of division and conflict and pain and sorrow. But Jesus came to this world not to bring division and sorrow, but to bring joy, to bring peace to bring hope. And today, that's the message that we want to share with you. And if you're watching this and you've never had the opportunity of, of connecting with him at that level, of understanding what it is that Jesus came to do, then I encourage you and I want to let you know the greatest news you'll ever hear. And that's this, God loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. In fact, he gave his only son, Jesus, to come to this earth to die on the cross, to pay for your sins and for my sins, to do for us what we never could do for ourselves. What an amazing gift that really is. God loves you. Christ died for you. But three days later, he rose again. And when he came out of that grave, he gives us victory over sin, over Satan, over the grave. He gives us the hope for eternity. But according to God's word, it's very clear. What we must do is believe. We must believe that Jesus is the son of God. We must believe that he died and that he rose again. And if we do that, according to Romans 10, 13, anyone, that means you, it means me, it means every person that has ever lived, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I encourage you today to recognize that hope that comes to Jesus. And if you've never trusted him as your Lord and Savior, do so today, believing that he is who he said he is, that he did what he said that he did, calling on his name, and it'll change everything. That is the message that we share. It's a message that we want to take to the entire world. And today I would encourage you to connect with us, maybe even financially through a gift that you can help us to take this message around the world. I encourage you today to stand with us as we stand with truth, as we stand with hope to let the world know God loves.